Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today to Mara Seiler, who's the Deputy Director of Admissions, Access, and Inclusion at Rice University in beautiful Houston, Texas. Tamara, so glad to have you here today. How are you? I am doing great. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a warm day here, but it's a beautiful day. <laughs> and uh, really excited that um, in a month or so, we'll be starting our school year, get to meet some of those kids that I admitted, uh, <laughs> get to see some of them again. So it, this is an exciting time. It always is an exciting time to, to hopefully be near when uh, you're going to get to see the results of all your hard work. Well, it sure is, and we are absolutely excited to have you here, Tamara. So let me ask you, what is it about Rice University that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Well, um, I'll start, of course, I think it always starts with the academic experience. I think Rice um, Rice doesn't offer everything, but what we choose to do, we do well. Um, students have the option of uh, 50 different majors between seven academic schools of study. They, they range from uh, business to humanities to social sciences, uh, engineering, uh, music, architecture, and I think one of the things that really makes uh, the student experience robust is the idea of not only having uh, mastery in a particular area of uh, subject area, but that that experiential learning uh, emphasis that we have here at Rice. So it's very easy to get access to things such as research and uh, internships and practical experiences. And it all takes place in the dynamic city of Houston, which is the most diverse city in the U.S. Um, it is also a, a city where uh, the space industry got started and um, <laughs> all sorts of, uh, of different options for students. So a medicine, we're adjacent to the world's largest comprehensive medical center. So there's uh, lots of innovation. It's a young city. It's an exciting city. It's a foodie city. Um, I think, um, <laughs> you know, our students find that the professors that teach them are in very invested in their learning, a six to one student to faculty ratio. Um, 
community is huge here at Rice. And first of all, diversity, over 60% of our students identify as a, a student of color uh, and uh, over 30% identify as what we would call a historically excluded student of color. Um, we have students that uh, get a chance to participate in our residential college system, uh, 280 clubs and organizations, very student empowered place. Uh, and Rice believes in doing everything at the, at the highest level possible. So here you are a research uh, re level one research university, but we also practice sports at the division one level. So students uh, <laughs> have a very exciting campus that they can be part of, and we make it extremely accessible um, through things such as our uh, Rice Investment, where pretty much students up to $200,000 incomes can expect to have some level of their education covered. And we just recently became a no-loan institution. Uh, so uh, so wow. there's just so so many, many different uh, opportunities. But I think if students had to point to the number one thing, it is the community and the fact that there is this community of care. People come to Rice because they want to be engaged with the undergraduates and with graduate students, but they really believe in the Rice mission and the fact that we are really giving our students the chance to become um, uh, scholars, but also great citizens. And I think that really appeals to a variety of students. Well, it certainly does appeal to a variety of students, and it truly sounds like you have something for everyone. Tamara, I also have to share that I read that 97%, 97% of your freshman class actually returns, which is an amazing piece of data. And that is, of course, a testament to the great work that you do in admissions, but equally as important, the great work that the university does in terms of fostering an environment of inclusivity and family. So congratulations on that. That's just an astonishing statistic. I also wanted to ask, of course, students usually spend at least four years in college. So visiting campus before committing to a school is so important for the student to really get a feeling of whether or not the campus and surrounding area are for them. So Tamara, when a student comes to campus, what are the areas that they should visit and what are the types of questions they should be asking in order to determine if the school is in fact the right fit for them? Well, first, um, I think I would tell students, go ahead and uh, you're in a you're in a time where so much information is available to you uh, virtually and online. You know, get go ahead and do that basic research before you get here, because I think when you get to campus, you want to be outside of a room with people talking to you as much as possible. So while it's nice to be able to ask an officer some questions while you're here on campus, sitting down for a full information session, we have those virtually. So if you're going to pay the money to come and actually see the campus, see the campus. Um, you know, right. take right. Obviously, you want to try and take the, the formal tour, but then you want to carve out some time. The, the tour is only going to cover part, usually part of the campus. So if there are special things that you're interested in that are not on the regular tour tour route you'll want to find out you know what is on the tour route and then there might be some other things that you want to see on campus for example you may want to go out to a little bit further on campus to our arts center and they have a nice coffee house there some of the best interactions you can have on a campus will be just walking around and observing how people interact with each other observing their faces I mean is everybody smiling or at least 
are there partly some people <laughs> smiling? Um, you know, I, we will definitely in our materials always try to, you know, I used to call it the United uh, uh, Faces of Benetton because, you know, obviously <laughs> we're always going to want to portray ourselves as diverse, open places. But I think when you can see that actually on campus, and I think we've had people, multiple people who remarked that that's one of the things that they are struck by when they get to the Rice campuses, the, the, the ability to see not only the diversity we talk about, but to see it in action, to see students actually, you know, talking to each other in real time. So I think maybe being able to make those type of observations, obviously coming to a college is going to, you're, you're going to be on campus. Uh, we do have um, areas where you can kind of see what the rooms are like, ask what the, the living spaces are like, see where the food is being served, those uh, see what other food options there are on campus in case you just want to be around. But then you're going to be going to school in, in a city. And in this case, it would be Houston, Texas. Um, and you're in the middle of the city. I think you're about two and a half miles from downtown Houston. You're adjacent to the Rice Village, which is uh, about 400 shops and restaurants. And that's going to wow. play a big part in life at Rice. So I would say if you have time, build that time in to be able to um, to go and see something in the community that that is meaningful to you. So if you're a foodie, go and make sure you have time to go eat something. If you love uh, the arts, we're within walking distance of most of the city's major museums. Go and see one of the museums. The zoo is across the street. We have, uh, Houston is an arts-rich city, so you may want, and if you're interested in the arts, you know, may, go and see one of those performances that as a student, you would be able to access very often either for a reduced rate or for free. And so you want to know what your life is going to be be like outside of just taking classes. Um, and also, you know, talk to students about their internships and uh, maybe walk or drive around the city if you have an opportunity to do so. If you don't have a car, you can actually jump on the light rail and go downtown and, and kind of see what that experience is like because a lot of our students utilize the light rail. So I, I believe that a lot of that, it, it make it experiential, not sitting and asking students a lot of questions. Now, if you have some, if you're a big scholar, it's okay to reach out to a department and see if there is a professor or a freshman advisor in that particular area of study who wants to talk to you. Um, in some of our arts areas, like the Shepherd School of Music or the Architecture School, they would love to have you kind of stop by, even if it's possibly a drop-in appointment. So definitely, we want you to have um, a rich experience and, and keep yourself active uh, while you're on campus and not just... Look and see what you can do virtually and get that out of the way. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that overview and tremendous pieces of advice. Obviously, speaking to random students on campus, visiting a local coffee shop, and of course, the amazing city of Houston, where you can indulge in the arts, restaurants, internships, and so much more. So again, Tamara, we really appreciate that overview. How many applications do you review a year and do you represent a specific region and any insight, Tamara, that you would be able to give us into your overall process would be greatly appreciated. Last year, we received over 30,000 applications for um, what I would say was about 1,100 uh, freshmen or first year student spots. For me, because... Um, 
when I first uh, started, I would easily say that I was reviewing 1,500 applications a year because of my territory. Um, because of my sort of senior uh, placement in the office and the fact that I am a, actually a chair of committee, um, my area has to be a little bit smaller uh, because of the review process and the amount of time it takes uh, once the applications are read to actually make those thoughtful decisions on who actually gets invited to be part of the class. So, um, so for me, usually in a season, I'm not reading anymore. I'm reading about half the load of, of what would be, we would consider to be a junior officer. So I'd probably be reading about 700 or so applications. Now, that's assuming that my territory uh, behaves the same way from year to year. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I've done a really good job and I might get a few more applications and I'm still going to read all the applications from my territory. So for me, my territory uh, at present is four of the five boroughs of New York. So I do Staten wow. Island, uh, Manhattan, um, uh, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. Um, um, not that I don't love Queens, uh, but Queens <laughs> is married more to, to, to Long Island. And, and then I also read Westchester County. And so that so I will read all of the applications that come from there, uh, whether or not, you know, at whatever time we receive them. And so that allows me to utilize my relationships that I've developed with uh, very uh, with the counselors with the school communities with the community-based organizations that with whom I interact and hopefully bring the, the wealth of my knowledge to the table I mean I've had the privilege of reading um, the, um, the areas that I read since about 2000 and so um, wow. so you know I, I still I still look at school profiles and um, and and one of the th great things about some of the virtual experiences is that it's allowed us to have greater reach and so I get to read uh, schools that I've never seen uh, before uh, with students applying to rice as, as as more student more and more students find out about the opportunities here and that's exciting every year uh, to get it to get to read even more applicants from my areas um, I think one of the things that's pretty um, uh, distinctive about the way we review applications is that the applications are never reviewed by one person and that's part of our committee-based evaluation so every time an applicant is read there are two people in the room typically and um, there's going to be the territory manager and uh, another staff member and then uh, the other layer that gets laid on that so if the territory manager is a is someone who's been reading applications for a long period of time typically the second person in the room is going to be someone who would be more uh, would be more of a junior officer hasn't read as long and so that we're bringing the you know those it also becomes a place of uh learning and sharing uh that doesn't mean that the senior officer is dominating the conversation and so uh it just means that we're we're, we're they get a chance to see what we're seeing or, or hear us um, talk about what we're seeing in the application and uh, they get a chance to sort of tell us what they're seeing in the application and we have a real-time conversation about what's happening um, and so what that does is that it actually allows us often to move more quickly through a slate of applications so in a given day we may be reading anywhere from 70 to 80 applications together in that right. setting right. Um, and so I know sometimes that can be very scary to families 
essays and students, they said, <laughs> I put all of this effort into this application and you're only reading it for this short period of time. But what you're getting is you're getting two professionals to look at that application at the same time. And so, um, and so, and a real time conversation. So while it may not be a necessarily a long conversation, it is a rich and robust one. And I think we, we, we get that's how we get through so many applications. But I think reading is only part of this. The decision-making process is another part. And I think, um, you know, whereas, um, you know, we, we may be reading applications in that shorter period of time, often I feel like I get to know kids really well because I'll see them at different phases in the selection process. I'll see them in sort of what we would call pre-committee as we're, we're looking at students just uh, to see, you know, the students that have gotten to this level and then we'll start looking at the students in um, we do look at students in the context of what they want to study by division of study so um, so I actually will you know be the person who looks at almost everybody who's made it there from the natural sciences and so um, and so I'm looking at all of those students in context so I, I feel like even though you know, we didn't spend a lot of time reading the applications. There's so many students that I feel like I get to know because I see their application multiple times through the committee process. I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016. And he's also a board certified dermatologist who received a perfect score on his SAT. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So I just wanted to share with all your listeners real quick that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring programs, you can get 30% off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process Podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code COLLEGETALK, one word, just college talk, and that'll give you 30% off all prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring packages. Make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast. Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made using our coupon code, which is College Talk, the College Admissions Process Podcast will receive a small commission from Prep Expert. But rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. So whether you're preparing for the SAT, ACT, or need a one on one tutor, Prep Expert has the tools and expertise to help you. For more information, please see the Prep Expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Well, we really appreciate that overview. And I speak to a lot of students and their parents, and it's always a question that comes up. They really want to hear about the inside scoop, what happens when they hit submit to their application. So again, thank you for all of that insight. So Tamara, do you offer interviews, whether evaluative or informative, for students as part of your overall application process? And if so, how do you use the interview in the college admissions process? And what advice would you offer students who are preparing for an interview? Great. So 
Um, we do offer evaluative interviews. Um, and I would say that, but I think that's, uh, it's hard to divorce evaluation from information. I think that even though we are evaluating students in the interview, it also becomes a, a really rich bed of information. Because typically, if you're being interviewed, it is, um, less likely that it's going to be a staff member, but sometimes it is, but you're going to have an opportunity to be interviewed by one of our Rice seniors, uh, someone who's at the end of their journey at Rice. And so it's, it becomes a not only an opportunity for them to get to know you so they can write their evaluations, but for you to ask them some questions about their Rice experience. And the same thing is true of our alumni interviewers who volunteer their time to talk about, uh, to talk to students, to uh, get the information they need to know for the evaluation. But then this is somebody who's graduated from Rice and is now working in industry. So uh, so I think the, the those two ideas are kind of married together. Um, now, we can't offer interviews to everyone. We can offer more interviews, actually, than we, we used to because they, they happen in a virtual format. But um, and so there, there used to be you know, geographic boundaries where we we didn't have any interviewers available in a certain area and since we have so many rice alumni in the houston area we had rice alumni who <laughs> didn't get to interview that many kids but now you know rice alumni uh, alumnus in houston can interview somebody uh abroad so it is so it right. is so there's there's opened up more Amazing, doors right? and opportunities to be interviewed <laughs> the interview is not a required piece of the application process it is uh I, I always ask students to ask themselves, what do you think is your best feature? And if you feel like your personality is one of your best features, why not engage in an interview? Um, for the most part, the interview, unless the student does something just intentionally bad, um, it's, it's, it, it's either going to have, have positive or neutral impact on the application process. We know this is a conversation that's happen, happening between two people who you know, haven't met each other most likely before today. And so, um, so, you know, there's only, maybe they just didn't connect. And, and, but I will say more often than not, there's information sometimes that comes out that reinforces a feeling, provides context to something that the student, uh, that in the student's application really um, underscores uh, their passion for learning. Um, and uh, often some, uh, well, I will say not necessarily often, but sometimes provides an opportunity for them to talk about something that we wouldn't have known to even ask in the application. So I would say as long as the interview does not bring you to a point of uh, nervousness where you would not be able to perform well in that process, it may be something to consider, especially with a school like Rice, where a significant number of our population is going to be applying, uh, you know, beyond Houston and beyond Texas, and they may not know as many people who went to Rice, or uh, so I, I feel like it's just another way to uh, to to get more information that helps you in presenting yourself. Um, we have interviews that happen before students apply for admission, and some that happen after. And um, and, and so I, I I think that um, just based on your availability. But if you don't get a chance to do it, 
do not feel like somehow now you're at a disadvantage because you didn't have a chance to do the interview. There's still plenty of ways in the application process to drive home all of the different things that we would be looking at in terms of the evalu evaluative process. We'll be looking at, you know, again, your academic endeavors, uh, whether that be in the classroom or outside of the classroom, what you've chosen to do with your time outside of class, your voice as it appears in the application. All of those are still pieces that you can contribute to, even if you don't have an interview. Well, that's great insight and tremendous pieces of advice. And I love how you explained that the interview, you're not obligated to do it. However, if you think that your personality is something that makes you stand out, certainly go for it. And I appreciate how you explained that the interview usually helps. It's not going to hurt your overall application unless you do something really foolish. And I think students that are applying to a great school like Rice University are not going to come to a to an interview and do something foolish. So again, thank you so much for that insight. We truly appreciate it, Tamara. And what are the different ways a student may apply to Rice University? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? So Rice is uh, a little streamlined when it comes. I mean, there are so many schools out there that are offering so many decision plans. We we pretty much offer <laughs> early, we we offer early decision, and which is our binding admissions program. So students who choose to apply early decision are typically with that choice saying, well, are they are saying with that choice that if Rice were to admit them, they've done their research, they've uh, you know used all of the tools that we make available to them, including our net price calculator when it comes to assessing whether or not Rice is an affordable option for them. They've looked at all of those options and they feel that Rice is their best match uh, to the point where they would like that opportunity to be viewed in that earlier setting. Um, usually no more than about 15% of our students who apply to RICE will apply under early decisions. So there might be a slight advantage in terms of, um, you know, the, the amount of time that we have to review your application, um, the amount of students that you're being viewed against at that point or viewed with at that point. I don't want to say against. It's not necessarily, <laughs> it's not necessarily a competition and there's no quotas. So, you know, <laughs> we're we're going to be looking to see you know where we're uh, and and typically we're going to be bringing in about um, you know forty between forty two to forty five percent of our uh, of our class through early decisions. So statistically, it could be a slightly um, um, you know it, it'll be you'll you'll see a higher percentage of acceptance during early decision. And then regular decision is the, is the second plan. It, it is by no means, you know, means that it's total hunger games and, and that, you know, there's <laughs> absolutely no chance for you to be admitted. No, you're still bringing, you know, qualities to the table. We're still shaping seven different academic schools of study. Uh, we're still looking for the best uh, matches for those programs. Yes, there will be more students that we will have to evaluate. And the percentage of acceptance will be lower. Um, and that usually is akin to the overarching percentage of acceptance. For example, you know, 8% acceptance for a regular decision last year, overall percentage of acceptance was about 8%. Um, we do also partner with a program called QuestBridge. And so that is, that is the third way that a student may possibly be considered under the QuestBridge National College match. But that is a very sort of curated program is specifically aimed at students for um, that would identify as truly low income. It 
it does uh, have a separate application that you would file with the QuestBridge organization for review. So if you're interested in that, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole necessarily right now, but that's another way that if you would identify as low income and you'd be interested in those schools, you can look into the QuestBridge process. But the majority of applicants that we're going to be reviewing will be either be doing early decision or regular decision. Well, I really appreciate that. First of all, for sharing all the data that you did. That's very insightful, again, to the students and their parents. I also appreciate you mentioning the QuestBridge program. And by the way, Tamara, I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions link in the show notes of the podcast. So if there's anything else that you want to share with me so that I could link it in the show notes for the parents, just send it to me. And of course, I'll make it available to them. Another piece of the application for many schools is something we call demonstrated interest. So Tamara, can you share what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest to Rice University? And do you, in fact, use it or not in your overall process? Well, I will start with the idea of um, demonstrated interest, I think, uh, has been really become to be defined as a checklist of, you know, I did X, Y, and Z. And, <laughs> and, and we can see, uh, and, and quite honestly, students could do X, Y, and Z and still miss the point of, you know, why they are applying to <laughs> a particular institution. So I, I think that what we've tried to move away from it in, in, in terms of that thought process and redefining it as interest in rice. And I, I think what we want you to think about those interactions as uh, in, in terms of their nature is the fact that you are interacting with us to become more informed about why rice or any institution would be the best choice for you. You're trying to look at your checklist of items that you're looking for in a college and you're trying to establish how many of the items on that checklist are met by that particular school. And so it's your research. Now, as you know, some students are able to, you know, they, they are able to research on the web and that's enough for them. Um, and they know exactly, they've looked at the professor, um, curricula vitae <laughs> they've looked at everything <laughs> and they may not need as many in-person interactions they may not need to do the virtual experiences that they, they may we have students that we call stealth applicants that have had absolutely no engagement with us but <laughs> but when they write their applications they've they've got it they're 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 answering our questions right. with the de right. with the details that really allow us to see them in our in the classroom to see us how they're going to going to going to impact the community and, and it should be a two-way street we can also see not only what you're going to add but how we're going to enhance what you bring to the process and make you the best person that we can on the on the other side of four sometimes three and a half sometimes five years uh <laughs> as an undergraduate and so um but I would say in general, you know, things such as we do count virtual experiences. So if you engage with us virtually, we're counting that uh, in terms of, you know, you can say I did this uh, and we're going to note that the fact that you did this. If you if you've taken time out of your schedule to fly across campus, we're going to know that. Right. But it's less right. of the fact that you did that. But what did you gain from the experience? And, you know, if you came here, hopefully what you'll be able to, to add is, is some rich details. 
like, oh, when I came to campus, I got a chance to actually see, you know, students studying um, in the student center, or I got to see where people tend to congregate on campus. And what a, you know, I, I, I drove down the, the driveway and that tunnel of trees really just, you know, appealed to me in terms of being able to see a school that's urban, but so much nature around it. And that's really what appeals. And I think being able to pull that back to, you know, what appealed to you about those experiences and how did they resonate and how did they connect? Um, you know, did you encounter somebody who really, you know, was the epitome of what you wanted out of your experience? Um, so, it's so it's not again it's not about a checklist and 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 so uh and so you shouldn't treat it as as such at least for us but that is a question you need to ask every school that you go to some schools are very particular about students um you know visiting and i'll say that 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 particular um expectation becomes more um, crystallized as, as as you are closer to the institution. So I will not tell you that if you're right there in New York and you don't visit some school in New York, <laughs> that they're not probably going to look at that a little differently. But on the you know on the flip side, you know if you're from New York and you took the time out of your schedule to come and see us. And, um, and, you know, that might, the, uh, you know, we're, we're so we're excited by that. But we also have to acknowledge that not every student has the capacity, you know, whether that be time, money, resources to be able to, you know, elevate that to a campus visit. So we're not necessarily expecting that. But we hope you'll take advantage of so many opportunities just to make sure that you under, that you have greater understanding of the questions that we're going to be asking you on the application. You have a greater understanding of what you're getting into in terms of an experience because Rice is, and any school that you go to, it's not just about getting a degree, it's an experience. And so we want you to feel that you're making the best match possible and that often will come through and you'll feel more confident um, that you're making that best match. And, and applying to college is, is no joke. It, it is, it's time consuming. So why would you want to spend time uh, applying to a school if you haven't done that exploration to make sure it, 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 is, it is truly a place where you would be willing to spend four years of your life? Well, that's a tremendous answer. And I love the way you explained that it would be about asking yourself, what did you gain from the experience? What did you gain from the visit? It's not just putting a check in different boxes. So not only what you gain, but what appealed to you. And then using that after your own reflection, whether it's in the interview, if they choose to do it, or perhaps they talk about it in their college essay in terms of what is it that made Rice University feel like the perfect home, the perfect fit for them. And that's why they want to come and spend the next four years or more there. So and, again, Tamara, really appreciate that. Yeah, go ahead. And before we leave that, I, I would say, I think, um, you know, the one thing that I see that impacting the most positively is very often the short responses because a lot of students spend a right. lot of time on their essays and, but they don't necessarily ace the, you know, the answer of, you know, why this particular area of study and why this particular school. Uh, and, and, and I think that those experiences 
will speak directly to being able to do well on those particular short answer questions. You know, just being able to immediately pinpoint, this is why, you know, I want to study this particular area of study. And this is, and I saw through these experiences, you're good at this, not just good at it because everybody's going to say they have a good biology or psychology program, but it (laughs) enables you to say, oh, that professor has a specialty in this, and that really speaks to my interest in uh, in psychology or neuros or, or you know whatever bit you could be saying. Oh, okay, now I understand that cognitive sciences is now really where I'm thinking about rather than neuroscience, and that came directly from the opportunity to engage with the campus and to engage with the information session that was online and they explained the difference between the two programs and so so those are the kind of distinctions and I think really you know those short answer questions can often be the thing that you know a student doesn't take as much advantage of I will say you need to take advantage of every part of your application to be able to really give us a strong sense of of who you are what are your aspirations and what excites you about this experience uh this wonderful experience we call college well that's such great advice and insight and of course you're referring to short answers or perhaps a lot of people call them the supplemental essays but it's important to do your research do your homework and when you answer those questions answer specific in this case to rice university Don't answer a, for example, why Rice University question with an answer that could apply, you know, to multiple schools. It has to be specific to Rice University if you want to stand out as an applicant that is very serious, in fact, about attending Rice. So Tamara, thank you so much. I really appreciate that insight. I also know that Rice University is test optional. Tamara, can you share the percentage of students that applied and were ultimately admitted that did not submit test scores? Sure. For us, um, and uh, you know, I, we haven't delved into any large-scale reasoning as to you know, where, when students had the opportunity to submit testing versus um, not having that opportunity. But the main thing, we, we just wanted to make sure that students who truly did not have that um, that opportunity to test for whatever reason, especially having come out of a pandemic. But, you know, again, even before the pandemic, there are, there are often barriers to students being able to test. And so, uh, so in this case, you know, we're, we're, it, it was, it was driven by the pandemic, but, you know, again, um, now it's something that, you know, we haven't made any final decisions, um, but it did bring, allow some students to come to the table that would not have been able to come to the table when everything else in their application was strong. They were at the top of their class. They were doing the best they could with the, with the resources available to them. They were involved. They had a, they have a perspective that we'd love to see more of at the institution at Rice. Um, they have a voice that we would love to have as part of our community. Um, we want to make sure that we wanted to make sure that we weren't cutting that off. Now, in our case, I know that many other schools had, you know, were able to cite like 50% of their students applied. And in terms of our applicant pool, quite honestly, we still saw the majority of students who did submit some form of testing. So for us, it was more like 25% of our applicants did not submit testing uh, last year. And, you know, and it kind of came out in the wash with in terms of the students that we were able to offer admission about the same percentage. So about a quarter. 
did not submit testing. And so, um, so you know, and that does put us on the lower end of, of what some other schools were reporting. But again, we're really excited for that 25% who perhaps would not have been, you know, if we had kept to a test policy, would not have been able to, to actually be reviewed in the process. So, Understood. And thank you so much for sharing that data. And does Rice accept AP, IB, or dual enrollment classes for credit? Um, we do on a, uh, and I always say it depends. Um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, we have uh, some history of, we have probably the strongest history with AP and there are some pretty clear AP, um, AP statistics for, uh, or uh, criteria for accepting uh, an AP course for credit. Um, fours or fives on AP exams are evaluated for credit for most exams, not all exams. And you can see the list on our website, uh, when you go to the, uh, you just, I mean, if you put an AP credit on the main Rice page, it should pull up the, the, the page for the registrar who manages the credit policies here at Rice. Um, you know, IB, um, a little bit more restrictive, some would say a little bit more stringent in that, you know, um, our credit policies specifically speak to those who are in pursuit of the full diploma and who score, and we only uh, consider it HLs, higher level courses for possible credit, six and sixes and sevens on the HL exams. Um, and then for dual enrollment, that truly is on a case-by-case basis. Now, um, some basic criteria that we have to, that if we're going to con- even con- possibly consider the course for credit, it has to be taught at the college. It cannot be taught in the school environment because you're asking us for college credit. We want a college level setting. Um, you'd have to make a C, uh, a C, a C plus or better, I believe. Uh, it's either a C or a C plus. And um, it cannot be used to meet your minimum high school requirements. And so, for example, if we require four years of English um, and, uh, you know, and, and you only take one semester of senior dual enrollment and that is your fourth year of English, then we wouldn't be able to count it as a college course. But in some cases, you know, if students are taking multiple English courses and they're doing it by semester, and it's meeting all of the other criteria, by the time you get to your senior year, you may have an excess of what we would consider to be four years of English. And then depending on the course uh, matter, and if we can find a comparable course here at Rice, then that might be able to be considered. Uh, but there's a lot more hoops to be draw- jumped through, if you will, uh, a lot more ma- sort of evidence that needs to be submitted on behalf of this, the transcripts um, that need to be submitted and, uh, and information that needs to be submitted by the school to be able to assess whether or not the dual enrollment course that you're taking will pass the test for credit. Understood. We appreciate that. Thank you so much, Tamara. And how important are students' courses in progress and grades in their senior year? And what are you looking for when reviewing them? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing I want to establish is... Um, um, and I'm, I, I hope that all of the people that you talk to say this, the race is not over, even if you get admitted <laughs> in your senior year. And so, um, so um, you know, to start with the first part of your question, um, you know, what we hope is that in senior year, it, it, senior year should hopefully be the opportunity for you to be challenging yourself at a relatively high level um, based on all of the work that you've done 
prior to this in ninth through 11th grade, and sometimes even before that. I mean, sometimes you've already, you know, there are accelerated programs you've taken in seventh and eighth grade that have led to what you're able to do in your senior year, especially in areas such as, uh, as math and language. Um, and so what we're just, we're looking to see uh, in your senior year, how, how, ha how has everything kind of led up to this point? And what are you taking and how does that sort of reinforce what you're telling us is going to be your next step, which is what you want to study in college. And we're looking for that preparation. We're looking to see, you know, how that's all played, played out in terms of what does that senior year schedule look like? Now, in some cases, you may have exhausted some of the courses that, uh, that were available to you at a higher level in your 11th grade year. And so maybe, um, you know, senior year is going to look um, you know, like a combination of things. Maybe you are reaching outside of, of, the, of, the, of your school environment to take a couple of courses because you, you've exhausted math at your school. Or, um, or maybe you're, you're having the opportunity to take a few more classes um, that are that are maybe we would consider to be electives because you've done all of that base work, but maybe you're it's giving you the chance to maybe do some independent research or independent project work. So we're looking for what, however, that expresses itself in your activities, um, and what that how that contributes to your overall academic profile. Um, we're looking to now for some students, senior year is very important because they did have some rough patches earlier in their process. So senior year may be your chance to kind of say, okay, I'm working at this level and, um, and now I've gotten used to the rigor of the particular courses. So I'm able to perform better in my senior year than perhaps I did in my sophomore or my junior year. And so sometimes with senior year, you're able to show that upward trend that we are, that, right. that, that, that would then right. add to your review. Now, what we don't want to see is a downward trend. <laughs> and so, um, so I think you, you know, you have to, you, it, senior years isn't always about, you know, like, you know, the, the, like making sure you're challenging yourself more and more and more. Maybe you want to find the appropriate level of challenge and you definitely still want to post a solid performance in your senior year. You want to finish strong. Um, and just know that we're going to be looking at you all the way through. So we do uh, require a final grade report and we want to see that you finished as somewhat of the same student that we admitted to the university. Well, I appreciate that. And I love what you said, find the appropriate level of challenge and continue to put your best foot forward, which is, you know, great advice for seniors and all the students and their parents. So thank you so much for that. Tamara, obviously, the college essay is another piece of the overall application. What are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about when they sit down to start writing their essay? Well, if it's okay with you, I might start with that second part first. I think you need to, sure. um, first of all, you need to answer the prompt. <laughs> it's like, and so, um, and, and, and it's, it, I, I mean, the, the news that I have for you is that it, it, it is going to be often very hard to write a one size fits all essay that you can just cut and paste and put into every application, right. especially when it comes right. to supplemental essays. Now, of sure. course, if you're working on your common application or your coalition application or your Questbridge application, um, that 
uh, that one application is going to be applicable to a lot of, of different schools. So one thing I would say is I would look to see what is being asked on, you know, what prompts are available to you on that main sort of common application if you, and, and, uh, on, you know, and coalition application or quest bridge application, you know, what are the prompts that are available there? And look at the supplemental questions for each of the schools that you're considering and make sure that you're not, uh, that you're picking the best prompt that's not going to be repeated on a supplement. And, um, um, and, and so that way uh, you're not, you don't get to the supplement and say, well, I already answered this question. Right. Well, let me just say that even if you get to the supplement, you say, I already answered this question. You've answered a version of that question. You should then take a different tact with your other uh, applications. So, but you want to see this as a strategy. Every, you know, every one of these essays is a chance to get a different piece of your voice in the, in the mix, in the discussion, you know, to be talked about amongst those uh, individuals. But answer prompts that are not going to, that are going to allow you to dig into the particular um, specificity of your life story. You know, I'm like, you have a story. You know, I, yes, at 16, 17, 18, you have a story. You have some, you know, there, there have been forces that have shaped you. There have been things you've chosen that other people didn't choose. There have been family, you know, a family environment that, you know, may, may you, you may be distinctive to you. Um, where you grew up can be distinctive. What, you know, what type of environment you were in in school can be distinctive. All of those things, look for those areas of distinction and how you can definitely, and how all those essay questions might allow you to dig into those pieces so that what you are presenting to us is authentic. You're going to get tired of hearing that word too. You're going to hear <laughs> You're going to get tired of hearing the words holistic and authentic, but we want to hear stories. Um, and I think people are, uh, I think you, you know, don't spend too much time thinking about what we want. Think about what you want to share. And I, I mean, and it's not about pleasing us. It's about pleasing yourself and, and really thinking about, you know, is this the best reflection of, the, of what I want these schools to know about me and, and what I'm, the perspective that I'm bringing to the table? And if, if we don't want that, you don't necessarily want to be there with us. <laughs> and so we should right. want your voice as it's presented. Obviously, your essay should be, you know, well-written. That doesn't mean, mean perfection. Uh, it does mean that, you know, that your message isn't obscured by too many different mistakes in, ter in terms of how you're expressing yourself or misspellings or anything like that. But we're not sitting there with, uh, at least I'm not sitting there with a red pen and trying to figure <laughs> out how many places where you, you used, um, you know, where you didn't necessarily use perfect language. I'm not using perfect language right now. So I w I'm not expecting <laughs> perfection out of you. I want, I think about when I'm reading an essay, I think about, okay, where, you know, would I like, would I have been roommates with this student? Uh, would I, you know, would, or is, are they going to have a roommate? <laughs> like, are you, you know, are they, you know, or where are they going to, you know, where are they going to be telling this story and, and how impactful will their story be to somebody else? And, and you know, and, and, and just, you know, and, and, I, and that leads me to, I guess, some of the areas, some of the essays that have been most impactful for me. They were not big essays. We're not asking you to write about world, world issues or, uh, you know, or, and we don't 
expect that you should be, um, that you need to actually have some trauma or something of that nature. That is not, right. that's not right. the price of admission. We, and, right. and, and it's not a requirement. Now, if through some traumatic event or some trauma in your life, you feel like your story would be incomplete without us hearing through the, hearing that story, then by all means, put it in there. But don't feel like you have to trot out your trauma for us, for our enjoyment, or to feel that you're different. And it's okay to have had a good life. It's okay. Um, it's okay to have had, you know, two parents. It's okay. We're not looking for, uh, or, you know, or to have, uh, you know, a family that uh, cares for you, whether whatever shape that takes. Um, it, it, or you, you know, you, you might have been an only child. You might have been, you know, one of many children. Everybody brings a different different story to, to the table, and we just want to see and respect that story. Um, it's okay to be funny. One of my favorite essays was uh, was a student who wrote about the experience of growing up in a town where the average age was somewhere around 60, um, and just how interesting it was to grow up in that space where, um, you know, like, you know, the school is small, and I'm not sure how this, you know, this community came, but just so many different pieces of how, um, you know, different things worked in, in, in that particular community. And he told the story about, you know, this older, uh, this older woman who drove through the donut shop uh, and not, not through the drive through. Oh she drove through the donut shop. And so, uh, and, but he said, you know, the, and so the police officers were there and obviously they, you know, they had some official business, but that it taught him how to take things, um, you know, it's so easy to move fast through this world and that that community really taught him how to be more uh, measured with his time, to slow down, to appreciate moment and that that's what he hoped to be able to share with, um, you know, with, with, with his fellow students because school and it can feel very much like a rat race that you're constantly moving at a certain pace and that you know, in some ways, it, it, you're eventually going to slow down. Well, so why not practice now? <laughs> like, and slowing down. <laughs> and, and really thinking about the things that are, and, and that the world doesn't fall apart necessarily when you slow down. And so it was, it was just, but it was just, he had a really good, uh, you know, painted a lot of pictures with his stories. Um, sort of on a more, you know, I don't want to say somber, but it was just so thoughtful. Um, this this young you know, young person wrote about, um, the the difficult relationship they had with their step parent, and um, that this step parent was constantly trying to find ways to break them down, and and they related it to um, this tree that was in their yard, and that the parent would constantly like hack at this tree and hack at and hack at it, and they tried to poison the tree, and they tried to and that whatever they did, they could not get that tree to stop growing <laughs> and at and at some point without her even saying it you saw the things that you know that that you know that that she saw herself that she had a kinship with that tree and that you know right. no matter what was right. sort of said to her her roots were too deep her belief in herself was too rooted and for right. her to be destroyed by this person who through their own unhappiness was trying to destroy her. And, wow. and then, and then at the very end of the essay, they just gave up. The tree just kept growing. 
And it's like, and they just said, fine, whatever. And, (laughs) and, and that's what she said, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how my roots will allow me to grow in the greater world because I know that I'm worthy. And I said, and it's just the most beautiful, beautiful. it was a beautiful essay. And, and, and so, so anyway, I mean, I, you know, don't be afraid. And, and I, but I, you know, I had somebody who wrote this like jaunty essay about their car and the car was the, I mean, they, their time (laughs) in their car every day was the most important time to them. They made poetry in the car. They sang music in the car. Sometimes they had friends in the car. Sometimes they didn't have friends in the car. (laughs) And it's just that, you know, you got so much of that fun personality out of that student all rooted in their car. So don't think that everything has to be, you know, a work of Shakespeare. It's really about right. telling the story that you want to tell in this process. Well, that's a tremendous answer. So many great points. I particularly appreciated how you explained to use each piece of the application, such as the essay, the supplemental questions, to provide different pieces of your voice and think about what you want to share. Not what you think people want to hear, but what you want to share. What's your story? What's the best reflection of you? So those were just tremendous points. And thank you so much for sharing all those great examples. I really appreciate it. And Tamara, of course, the teacher letters of recommendation are obviously another part of the application. What are you looking for in terms of helping to enhance an application from the teacher's letters? And if you could provide an example, that would be great too. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um... I mean, we tell, and uh, when I talk to teachers, I tell them that, you know, if you have, you know, insights into what the student does outside of class, um, you know, or some pieces of their, you know, person, personal experience, that's, you know, that's fine to include. But your job as a teacher is really to talk about that life of the mind. And it's like, that's what we need is to really talk about, you know, how the student, I mean, because you're picking as, as a student, you're going to pick teachers who are going to write on your behalf very often you're being asked to pick teachers that are aligned with what you want to study that we can make sure that you um, you know that you've grown in those experiences uh, or that they're going to be speak to you know what what your experience is in the classroom so so primarily what I you know those lead those letters of recommendation and when you're selecting a teacher to write for you that needs to be somebody who is acquainted with your work in that classroom um, who is acquainted with not necessarily all you know the easy work you know sometimes right. the best teachers right. of recommend teachers of recommendation are going to be those teachers who saw you grow um, who saw you you know who maybe saw you struggle a bit or maybe and maybe not sh- maybe struggles too strong of a word but maybe you didn't get 100% of the concepts or maybe you know things didn't come to you as easy in the beginning but you grew and you and it, and they can talk they can speak to you you know how do you take advantage of you know constructive advice uh, how do you you know engage with subject matter when it is not easy you know what is your what is your process for uh, for breaking down that information or maybe you are indeed the class leader but then um, you know sometimes it's really great to see you know this is not a student who just mastered the material just to say you know I just I mastered the material this is a class leader this is someone who understands that what the 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 position they occupy in class is not necessarily shared by all of their classmates so whenever possible that student really does reach out to their fellow classmates 
or this is a student who doesn't speak a lot in class, but when they do, people listen to them, you right. know, and this is what they're able right. to share. Um, you know, where they, where a student excels in class, you know, you may not, there may be some really particular talents that you have in the classroom. I mean, one of the red letters that I read was, um, you know, in the face of the pandemic was, um, you know, a teacher talking about the fact that, yes, it was great to be, you know, teaching this student, but that this student didn't divorce themselves, um, didn't divorce their personality from how they came to class. And one of the things that they, you know, sort of did as a, as a perk me up or pick me up in terms of uh, virtual classes is that they started bringing their parakeet to class. <laughs> and so, and, and, and the parakeet would just sit on their shoulder. They'd be engaged in class. And so everyone, including the teachers started looking forward to seeing the little parakeet. And so, um, and, and, you know, in a, in a time and, 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 and a time, when it, you know everybody it was going through a tough time including the instructors it was such a sort of maybe inspirational moment or a reminder that you know we're still people just trying to connect and so um and so, yes, I would say, you know, definitely they, they need to be able to speak to the classroom experience. But if you can have the advantage of finding somebody who does know you maybe a little bit more deeply than that or knows something that's really important to you that might not even be related to that subject matter or knows that you can connect ideas across subject matter, sometimes those are really great things to find out about a particular, uh, 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 from the teacher recommendation. But the main thing that they, they need to do is to really, you know, make sure that they're they're telling us that you know you're a student who is who can master material, can uh, can grow, and uh, and you're and and in some ways you're you're really excited about the learning learning journey, and, and that it is can definitely be a journey, and um, and that they like you. So I don't want to <laughs> say that's like um, you know, and then I'm not, and when I say that, I mean like they care enough to be able to write a detailed recommendation. And when I say detailed, it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about, you know, the number of pages. There are some people who can get it done in one page and make a very impactful recommendation. They know what they, they understand the assignment as we say now. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I think that's uh, what you want to do. You want to, you want to approach people who want to do this on your behalf, but at the same time, give them plenty of time to be, good advocates for you in this process. Well, those are tremendous pieces of advice. This entire conversation has been really special because you gave awesome insight. Tamara, we really can't thank you enough. And it now leads me to my last question, unfortunately, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice that you would give students and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? I'm trying to think of because I mean I think that you you've done you've done quite a few of these and I can think of some of my colleagues and, and some of the advice that they would give, um, and I and I would I would say if you're not enjoying some piece of this you're doing it wrong. It, it, this should not right. feel like right. all of always a chore. You're you're picking you're picking a place that will be trans that will hopefully be transformative for you in some way. When I think, and it doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a totally different person on the other side. No, you may, <laughs> you may be similar to the same person, but there's going to be experiences and memories and, and things that you're going, uh, you know, things that will, that will keep you, um, you know, 
when you when you're out in the work world, you're gonna remember some of the things that that you know. If it, 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 but it should touch you in some way, and, and so and and that idea is exciting. I mean, you know, when I got to college, I didn't realize how many people I would meet. I didn't realize I didn't realize how many teachers I would meet that um, you know really were rooting for me. I didn't realize I would meet teachers that were not necessarily rooting for me. And I and I learned how to deal with that as well. They're gonna be you're gonna learn coping mechanisms. And all of this is going to contribute. You're going to have the opportunity to do things, and people are going to pay you to do them. Like you're going to you're going to be able to go abroad, and like you know, and people. This is the only time in your life that somebody's going to pay you money to go and spend right. some time abroad. So I mean, there's right. going to be experiences, and so if you're not excited about those ex- those possible experiences, and and, and it, it just becomes I've got to go to college, and because it's expected of me then that's not that, you know, maybe you should take a year off and take a gap year uh, and, and refigure out why you want to go to college. Uh, I, I think this, this is the time for honest conversations with all the way, all the way around. You know, I mean, your parents do not let your students get to the end of a college search. And then you tell them that you're not willing to do some things. You know, if you're not willing to let them go, if you're, if you start saying things like, well, I've, I didn't think you were going to get in there. Well, I'm not paying for that. And it's like, you know, do not end up on or, you know, have honest conversations about your income level. And and right. and, and, and I know right. that these are the toughest conversations, you know, that you will ever have, um, you know, just saying that I just don't. But don't don't not provide opportunities to discover places, because I think what what will happen is that you are curating your college list. You're saying I the only these schools matter, or only these schools will be the ones that are valid choices. When there are so many schools out there who can provide incredible opportunity and will be able to support you in whatever way possible, including financially, if you'll just open your mindset. And so don't you know? And and that this is not this. There's nothing about this that is a value judgment of who you are as a person or who you are as a parent or a family. This is especially, especially if you're going for that highest level of selection. There are just too many things that are outside of your selection process, um, uh, of, your, of, of your control, that is, that for you to think that this is about you and, you know, and your college readiness or your, uh, or, you know, your, whether you were you provided all of the the necessary opportunities there are institutional priorities there are um you know there you right. can't control how right. many people are going to apply with an interest in the same thing right. you want to do and that doesn't mean you can't find a great opportunity somewhere else so do not bring you know too much into this process where you start judging yourself based on a process that you can't control at some stages now with right. that said I want you to feel empowered that you do have, this process is basically three steps. You decide where to apply. That's your choice. Now we make our admissions decisions. That's the choice that's not yours. But then if you've done it right, you're going to have choices. Unless you, you know, applied early decision and you're really excited with that choice. But, um, if, but if you end up and you have choices in April, 
Now we're going to spend the entire month of April trying to convince you to take that offer. So now the, right. now the shoe's back on your foot. So right. two out of those three choices are yours. So do feel empowered. So I guess those are my, I think that was three. Um, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the process. Do not, you know, judge yourself based on this process and about your worthiness or your value. This is not about that type of thing that you just need to do your research well and apply to the schools and use the resources of people around you, people like Mr. Durante (laughs) or Dr. Durante. (laughs) You need to use the people around you. They want success for you. Don't, 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 don't ignore them. So, and then, um, you know, and, and just remember that there are plenty of places that want you. So be empowered in this process. Well, this has been a tremendous conversation. And in terms of resources to Mara Seiler, you're a tremendous resource and this has been great. Thank you so much for your insight your time, your expertise. It shows that you've been doing this for a long time because you gave us so much in-depth information. I'm so happy because I know this is going to help so many students and their parents. Tamara, I hope to have you on it again. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here today. And, um, and it's just been, it's been a joyful conversation. These are the conversations that remind me why I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So Wow. Well, you were awesome. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.